Welcome to Rounding Third, the official podcast of the Nashville Sounds. On the field, off the field, Rounding Third takes you inside Nashville Sounds baseball. Here's your host, Jeff Hem. Welcome to another edition of Rounding Third. It's Jeff Hem here with you. Great to have you with us for another episode of the podcast. And we thank those of you who have listened to our recent episodes with current Rangers and former sounds like Nick Solak and Eli White and Jose Trevino and just recently with Brett Martin. And today we continue with Rangers sounds connections in a really fun way. And it's a little bit more off the field today as I'm pleased to be joined by Chuck Morgan, who is the longtime public address announcer for the Rangers. He is their executive vice president of Ballpark Entertainment. And long-term Sounds fans might remember that name because he is the original public address announcer for the Nashville Sounds, which we, of course, will discuss among many other topics as Chuck joins me from Arlington. The Rangers are going to be hosting some MLB playoff games in an adjusted COVID-19 2020 format bubble concept that MLB will be undergoing. So Chuck, it's great to see you. And as the, the wild card round is getting underway as we tape this, by the time this gets out, you will be uh, hours away perhaps from a really busy and fun schedule in this adjusted world we live in. That's right, Jeff. And, uh, you know, kind of a surprise to us. We've been working on uh, things for about a month with uh, Major League Baseball and and it's something new for them to have a neutral site. And uh, it's uh, going to be a lot of work, but it's going to be a lot of fun. As, you know, we had a tough year this year, and uh, we're going to get to see some uh, some great baseball over the next month. And uh, like you say, we got the Division Series coming in, followed by the National League Championship Series. And then uh, the World Series will be here, which is really exciting. But uh, we're looking forward to it. Again, a lot of work, but uh, again, it's going to be fun. And congratulations on 3,000 consecutive games as public address announcer. You've had an amazing career, which we, of course, will get into. 3,000, you know, for any live performer, I don't care what it is, 3,000 in a row of anything is a lot. It's a tremendous accomplishment. I love seeing some of the photos and the coverage over the weekend of the Rangers honoring you in all kinds of different ways. Uh, how much of it took you by surprise, and what were some of the emotions involved in something like this? Well, everything took me by surprise. And, uh, you know, uh, last year or a couple of years ago, uh, the Rangers were trying to honor uh, our uh, public relations guy, John Blake, and, and me with uh, our 40th year in baseball. And they had a hard time doing it. As Adrian Beltre told me, he said, you know, nothing happens in a Rangers ballpark unless John Blake and Chuck Morgan know what, what's going <laughs> on. So, they did a pretty good job of keeping things from me. My wife knew what was going to happen. She didn't even tell me. But uh, uh, anytime, Jeff, and you know this as well as anybody, anytime they take time out of a ball game and go an extra minute or two between innings and the players stop and things like that, that's, that's pretty special. And they did some nice things. And, and there were some great players that uh, sent videos in. And uh, it, it was really nice. It had to have been a strange feeling to have the game stopped for you because any of us who work around the game, we want to be the last reason that a game stops. We don't want anybody looking up at the press box. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, it, it, you know, even though it was real nice, I kept thinking, okay, that's good. That's good. Let's get both the game. I don't want, I don't want to hold the game up any more than I have to, but uh, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I'm going to be probably the thousandth person to ask you this, but I have to ask it. People probably thinking it's sort of the, the question that begs to be asked. In the 3,000 
how many times over the years did you feel close to missing a game? Because like I said, we're, you know, any live performer, uh, whatever level it is, there are going to be days where your voice or your body or your strength is not going to be 100%. I had a, uh, I had a couple of games where uh, it was a little shaky. Uh, the first one, uh, one year I worked for the Royals in, in 2002, did uh, all of their game presentation in PA. Did, I did 81 games there. You know, we had a uh, cold, rainy, chilly uh, April Saturday with a day game. And, you know, I woke up and I thought, okay, I'm not going to be able to make this. And I went on into the ballpark about 8 o'clock and got everything ready for the game. And then I said to myself, wow, I don't know if I can make it through the game. Well, in about that time, they called the game off. And I headed back home and uh, I passed out to the next day when game one of the doubleheaders started. So that was one of them. The other one, I had neck fusion surgery uh, several years ago. and and uh, they we had to find a window where there was a week where we could do that. And the, and the doctor told me, he said, there's two things that's going to happen. Just before I went under, he said, uh, you may lose your voice for a long time. And number two, you're going to have to miss some games. And I said, number, number one, I'm not going to lose my voice. And number two, <laughs> I am not missing a game. And uh, he got it done. And about a week later, I'm back in the booth doing a uh, Rangers-Indians game. So that was only a couple times. And, you know, for me to do that, I don't work. I still come into the office every day, but you know how the homestands are. Sometimes yeah. they're six, sometimes they're nine, and I don't have to. When they're on the road, uh, I go home on the weekends. So, but I've just been real lucky, and uh, uh, that I haven't been sick. That, that when the when the teams in town or something else have come up. You know, you've done World Series before because the Rangers, not too far back, uh, were in consecutive World Series. So as you'll do it for MLB in, in the in the bubble coming up, you've got some of that uh, postseason experience under your belt. Take people behind the scenes a little bit in what all goes into public address for any, well, any game, I guess, for that matter, but certainly a, a Major League Baseball postseason game, whether there are going to be fans in the stands or not, because I, I would guess a lot of fans would think, okay, public address, first and foremost, you're announcing the batters as they come up, obviously, but there's so much more going on in your ears and around you as games happen. You're navigating commercial breaks. You're navigating what's happening in the stadium while the teams are changing sides. So as you would prepare for an MLB postseason game, Give us a little bit of kind of the broader scope of what all goes into something like that, because I, I guarantee it's a lot more than people would realize. You know, it's, uh, it's a lot more of the planning. I mean, I oversee the game presentation as well. So right now, uh, it, since it's not a Ranger game, we're gathering content from the participating club. So for us, it's going to be more of uh, loading their content and, for example, if the Dodgers are the home team, it will feel like a Dodgers game. If the Padres are the home team, such and such, it'll feel like a Padres game. And we're going to do all we can to make those teams feel like they're at home since we're a neutral site. Uh, as far as the public address announcing goes, again, these are Major League Baseball-operated games. So we pretty much are at their mercy of them saying, okay, here's what we're going to do here, here's what we're going to do here, and that type of thing. So – we don't have a whole lot of say in what's going to happen in between innings or in the pregame. They set all of that up. From my standpoint, I'll have to, I'll get a script from them on what I'm supposed to read. And, you know, probably the toughest part of this, Jeff, you might guess it will be the uh, introductions because uh, <laughs> they're going to be on national TV. And, you know, when Joe Buck throws it to me for the introductions on the, uh, at the World Series, that's a, 
that's a pretty big butterfly moment. So you got a, a lot of butterflies flying around. And, and once you get through the lineups and uh, the game gets going and the national anthem and things like that, once the game gets going, it's pretty much a, a regular type game. But it's the preparation that we'll have over the next uh, couple of weeks and, and uh, getting all the content in. That's, the, that's our biggest concern right now is to make sure the teams get us uh, the content. And, of course, all of our signs are different sizes than, than the ones they have in their ballpark. So we'll make everything fit in our place. And, uh, but uh, once the game gets going, it's set back and enjoy the game and bring a couple of guys up to bat. You know, it's interesting. You talk, You mentioned the butterflies, and it got, me, it got me thinking that, you know, none of us off the field would ever pretend to be a player or be the manager or the guys doing the pitching or taking the swings. But if you don't think there's adrenaline for anybody on the periphery in a postseason game, I mean, you're, you're, not, you're not looking at it correctly, right? You're exactly right. I start getting those butterflies and get fired up. But when I'm driving into the ballpark, I can remember back in the 2010, 2011 World Series. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty th exciting thing to roll out of bed and get in the car and you're kind of fired up as you drive to the ballpark because those are, those are really special games. And I know the, the, the ones this year, even though the Rangers are not involved, it's, it's going to be a pretty cool experience. Globe Life Park looks beautiful. It'll be on a very national stage coming up soon. Take us uh, through what your world is like in the new ballpark. And, and I know you guys are itching, obviously, to get fans in there like any ballpark is around the country. What are the new digs like? Well, I'll tell you, Jeff, I have what uh, I've referred to as the PA Palace. It's, uh, it is outstanding. It's an, you know, when the architects talked to me, uh, they really didn't say, what do you want? Uh, they wanted to hear my thoughts and, and the history of, of what I remember about going to a ball game when I was a kid. Well, I grew up near St. Louis, and I went to Sportsman's Park and Bush Stadium won a lot. And the PA guy named Charlie Jones sat right behind home plate, and the reason he was there is when a guy was coming up to bat, he would step on the field with a megaphone before he was electrified and announce the players down the line. And then once they electrified him, he, was, he stayed right down there behind the plate. And that's pretty much all I told the architects. And they knew about my affection for talking baseball with fans and, and being a man of the fans. So they put me on the main concourse. It's kind of in a bubble with a lot of glass and people can see in. And, and about an hour or so before the game, we'll let people come in and visit uh, about baseball and, and, and talk baseball. So I'm out there. I'm uh, right in the middle of the main concourse, right behind home plate. I mean, it is a, it's a great seat. It's a great place to come to work every day. And then to watch a ball game here, I mean, the only thing, it's, it's really not complete because we haven't had any fans in here yet. But this is really a, a great place to watch a game, and I know the fans are going to enjoy it. How has your style as a PA guy evolved over the years? And we'll get into your sounds days here in a moment. But – you know, obviously there are certain things as a public address announcer, you just have to read a script and you don't get a whole lot of say in what that script is going to look like. But there are ways that you can personalize things and, and it becomes popular. I know your opening line of its baseball time in Texas is revered. So how did that kind of develop for you where you sort of found a style that you felt comfortable with, but you didn't feel like was trying to take over a game? You know, uh, well, that's, that's a very important, important point. One thing that's real important to me, whether it's my announcing or anything that we do on the video boards, is I really want a fan to come here and feel like the, the most important thing that happened was what happened on the field, not anything that I said, 
are not anything that we do on the video boards. We just kind of add to that experience of coming to the game. So that's, that's real important to me, but you know, I kind of still introduce the players almost the same way I did in Nashville. That hasn't changed much. And you know, a lot of that Jeff came from my time at the Grand Ole Opry too. You know, that was more of a, a, Hey, here comes uh, so-and-so out onto the stage. And so that's, that's a little bit of that, a little bit of the Nashville sounds, but you know, the, it's baseball time in Texas. I came up with that just as a salute to uh, Mark Holtz, who was uh, the voice of the Rangers back in the 80s and 90s, and and he passed away in late uh, ni- uh, 1997. And I, he always would come on the air and, and say, hey, it's baseball time in Texas. And I thought as a kind of a salute to Mark that I'd just pick up on that. And now I think a lot of folks have, uh, have picked up on it and, uh, and they enjoy it. But uh, my style hasn't changed a whole lot. I think I'm a lot better than I used to be, but, uh, you know, I just enjoy the ball game. But again, it's real important to me that a fan leaves here sometimes and not even know that I was here. Sure. That, uh, sure. That I didn't do anything to, to mess the game up in any way. You mentioned your, your, your disc jockey days and your time at the Grand Ole Opry, and then it would lead eventually to your role with the sounds as well. When was the very first time you were live on the air in some capacity? Do you remember it? Uh, probably 15 years old on, on a radio, a small radio station in Marion, Illinois, reading the news on Sunday nights. And it was an all automated station. And every now and then uh, I would stop the animation and, or automation and do a little bit of uh, my own stuff and then turn the automation back on. But I had to read the news and, and to make sure the automation was working. Cause I, I was about 15 years old. And then the first time I did the PA, I was uh, 14 and I had played a pony league game and I'd walked by the concession stand of a little league game. And the, and the guy operating the concession stand said, Hey, what are you doing at eight o'clock? I said, Hey, nothing. And he knew I had an affection for baseball cards. So he said, Hey, I'll give you a couple of packs of baseball cards. If you could PA the eight o'clock game and, and, all the magic words were base free baseball cards. <laughs> I was there, so and and hooked fairly immediately. Then, in in terms of career, how how did it evolve? Did you feel like those early introductions cemented your your wanting to do something in some capacity as a as a performer? You know, Jeff, I all you know, I always wanted to play. I always thought I was going to play first base for the St. Louis Cardinals, and it, and it didn't work out that way. I mean, <laughs> all of us reach a point where we say, you know what, I think I need to find something else yeah. to do. And I'd already worked in radio, and and uh, PA was, I guess, the furthest thing from my mind. I always wanted to be a, a play-by-play guy like you and, and be like Harry Carey. But again, I took a right turn or a left turn, whichever way you want to look at it, towards country music and was on the radio, but. You know, I think for a lot of us, you may be the same way when I, I'm pretty much doing the same thing that I was doing when I was five and six years old, getting in the backyard with a wiffle ball and bat, pretending to bring players up to bat in St. Louis. And then not only that, then I would do a little play-by-play while we're, whatever sport we were playing. Mm-hmm. So it goes back that far. But uh, I always wanted to be a play-by-play guy or, or play, but uh, it, uh, it's worked out pretty good. I mean, the Grand Ole Opry, too, is just one of those iconic components of, of broadcasting and music and, and radio history. You've got a lot of great accolades in your career. I've got to think having a foundation of some kind from the Grand Ole Opry remains one of your crowning achievements. You know, some of the greatest moments of my life were spent at the Grand Ole Opry on Friday and Saturday nights. I mean, it was just incredible to 
you know, my parents grew up to uh, listening to, uh, uh, as I grew up, they listened to a lot of uh, the great country music stars. And, and then, you know, 10, 12 years later, I'm standing on the stage introducing those people. And uh, every now and then I had to pinch myself to think about where I was and who I was hanging around. And, and you know, the, the thrill of that for me, Jeff, was not so much the announcing and, and reading commercials at the Opry, but just being backstage and, and feeling that vibe back there. It was, it was a real, it was really neat. And I was there at a great time. I mean, the urban cowboy craze was going on and Barbara Mandrell was just starting up. And uh, then there were a lot of great country greats there that would come through there, but uh, it's one of the most special times of my life. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it took a lot. It took Larry Schmidto and baseball to, to get me out of there. Yeah, 1977 comes around, and it becomes public that the Sounds will begin to exist in 1978, a double-A Southern League affiliate of the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, and Larry Schmidto, one of the great originators of baseball in all kinds of ways here in Middle Tennessee, take us through that conversation uh, of point A to point B, where you would become the Sounds original public address man in 78. Well, I think Larry knew who I was, and... Uh... Uh, just through me working in radio. And I probably was the first person to apply. Uh, the minute I heard they were going to have a baseball team, uh, I was went to see Larry. It was in December of 1977. And I think there was, it was snowing a little bit. And you talk about not feeling real well. I woke up that morning not feeling too well. I thought, I'm going anyway. And I uh, went and met with Larry and told him I wanted to do it. And, you know, uh, I think it was like he offered me like $10 a game. And I said, I'm in, don't worry about it, I'm fine. And uh, so it was that that quick. I mean, it happened. And, uh, you know, uh, again, that was a great time to uh, – I learned a lot there. learned a lot about baseball and how teams operated. I, I never had been to a minor league game in my life until I worked the first one with the, the sounds. And uh, it was really uh, – Larry was uh, – always been a good friend and and he really took care of me and I, that was a that was a great time to be uh, in nashville with the sounds it's been so fun for me in my time with the sounds which began in 2012 and, and at that point greer stadium we all knew was aging it was time for a new stadium it was time for a new stadium even before those years but it's it's been so fun for me as i've been with the sounds longer to learn more and more of the history and hear more and more of the stories from those early years. Richard Sturban, I've talked to Willie McGee about it. Don Mattingly has been interviewed about his time with the sounds because it re it's really easy for younger fans to know the later years of Greer Stadium. It's a whole other thing to hear the stories of those early years when it was the hottest ticket in minor league baseball. They were roping off the outfield, as I've been told over the years, just to try to get people to see the game. It was it, what was it like in those first couple of years with those crowds? You know, it was it, it was magical. I mean, it, and you're right. Some of those nights where we had to rope uh, the the field off, where fans could stand in the outfield to watch a ball game and. And Larry was a master promoter. I mean, fireworks shows and, and all kinds of giveaways. And, and it was just fun at the ballpark. And then to go along with that, we had some pretty good teams. You know, I got to work for the 79 Southern League Champions, which was a great team affiliated with the Cincinnati Reds. And then we bring in the Yankees when probably a much better team than we'd had in 1979 and lost in the 
uh, first round of the nasty old Memphis Chicks. And uh, but you know that team of Willie McGee and Buck Showalter, Pat Tabler. You know I still see. I mean I worked with uh, Buck here at the when he managed the Rangers. Pat Tabler comes here through here with the Toronto Blue Jays. Willie McGee came through last year with the Cardinals. So you still see those guys, but. Uh, it was some. Uh, it was a great time to be there, and some uh, great teams that came through, and some good players. And uh, but uh, it was it was a pretty special place. And like you said, it was it was the hottest ticket in town. Well, and you think I mean from literally part of the ownership group with guys like Richard Sturban and and Conway Twitty and others. But I mean, I've seen photos over the years. Those those games, and I, I think it's still true to a degree now with more of a current generation. But back then, that that had to have been a who's who. Of, of who's at the game that night from some of the country stars. I'll tell you, any night you could look down there, you know, and the, and the governor, Governor Lamar Alexander might come to the ball game one night. And then, like you say, you know, you might have Richard Sturban or somebody like that. I know Barbara Mandrell was there uh, quite a bit. And then, uh, you know, I, I developed a, a good relationship with Conway Twitty. And then, you know, uh, Conway and, and our relationship with baseball, I'm – he didn't do a lot of interviews back then, but he did spend some time with me on the radio. We got him to come out to the to WSM three or four times and and do some interviews and, and talk baseball. But uh, you're right, it was a who's who, and and it was uh, it was great to to be there during that time. So I know more of the history, but I want to hear you describe it. You go from Nashville to the Rangers uh, in 1983. You joined Texas as Larry Schmidt had become the Rangers marketing director, what were the conversations like in your decision to, to make a move like that? It was a, a real difficult decision. Uh, and I hope everybody in their career can, can be, have the choice between the grand old Opry or major league baseball. I mean, that was a, that was a tough choice. And, you know, at that time, Jeff, I had a lot of things going on in Nashville. The Nashville network was just starting up. Uh, we had a nationwide uh, country music radio show at night on the Music Country Network that WSM had just started. We had 100 stations. And uh, back in those days, Larry King talked politics nationwide. I talked country music nationwide, and we battled each other like that. And had all of this stuff going. We had just been named the Country Music Disc Jockey of the Year. And and I was on top of the world in the, in the uh, country radio and just – mountains of guests every night and some of the biggest names in country music because it became a big deal to get a record played on this network that was a hundred stations strong and uh, around uh, around December my life changed a little bit because uh, one of my best friends Marty Robbins passed away and Marty was pretty much a regular on my radio show and we were great friends and you know once that had happened things uh, didn't I, I kind of, I tell everybody, I kind of lost my fastball or something because it just didn't feel right. And Larry had called me in, in late December and said, Hey, I'm getting ready to take a job with the Texas Rangers. I'm going to take a shot in the dark here. Would you be interested in working in the big leagues? And I said, well, Larry, I think I'm going to stay put right now. I'm, I'm okay. And then I got to thinking about it and where I was going to be when I was 40, 50 years old, but I'd still be playing records and things like that. And, and I called him back and I always loved baseball and, I called him back and I said, you know what, Larry, I think, I think I'll join you. So I came down here for a visit and, and loved it. I liked Arlington Stadium, even though it was a, an old minor league ballpark that had been pieced together. And, and uh, I uh, 
and that was pretty much it. And, you know, first part of March, I was introducing Barbara Mandrell at the Grand Ole Opry. And two weeks later, I'm bringing Buddy Bell up to bat at third base <laughs> for the Texas Rangers. So, uh, again, I really liked working for Larry. He's always been good to me. And, and we had a lot of fun with the sounds. And, and when he came, when he brought me to the Rangers, we had a lot of fun, too. So, uh, but he, he is very instrumental in my, uh, my success. You mentioned a little bit about this when we talked about the coming postseason that the the Rangers will host some of the the MLB series. But I'm curious, as you talk about 1983 and here we are in 2020, how different do you feel like the role of a PA man is just because of the way video boards and in-game promotions and everything around the field that's happening it has developed too. So how has it changed over the years or, or evolved? You know, first thing, Jeff, is the technology. I mean, when I was working for the sounds, you know, I had a record player and we were playing records at Greer Stadium. And then when I got to Arlington, same same type of thing. They didn't, it was a record player. And then, you know, a couple of years later, broadcast cartridges came along and then CDs and now everything's digital. And then, you know, Larry was very instrumental in changing game presentation in Texas because the second year he was with the Rangers, we added the second video board in baseball. The Dodgers had the first one in 1980, and then Larry added one at Arlington Stadium in 1984. And that changed my role with the Rangers. It also changed the way that uh, people came to the ballpark to see things they could see in the ballpark now that they couldn't see at home. Now, Back in those days, we weren't allowed to show all the replays that, that we can now, but it totally changed the way a fan uh, fan experience at the ballpark with the video boards. And and uh, nowadays, I mean, they're as clear as your television in the uh, at home. And uh, but that's how that's changed. And the PA PA rolls a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit lesser, but you know. Uh, you know, we still now we're having to watch for the replay stuff and, and announce yeah. what the replay review the the that part of it. And for a while there, they you know they thought we were slowing down the game, so we became the timekeeper. So I have to watch how much time we've got left in the inning break, things like that. But the biggest thing it still is, you know, as long as I it's my job to make sure every fan knows who's pitching, who's pinch hitting. If there's been defensive changes, to make sure they they are aware of that because uh, they don't get the full play by play in the ballpark as as you well know as they do at home but yeah uh, it's make up to me to make sure they know what's going on in the game is there anything that uh that you can laugh about now because it was crisis averted or because it's it's uh it's been long enough in the past that you you've gotten over it uh i'm thinking you know i mean any of us uh, i i can think of times where you know, I'm supposed to be on the air in 10 minutes and a, and a mic cable stops working or something like that. These things that we all deal with, if you work a full season of anything, there are going to be moments where the technology isn't working right or something. You don't have, you know, a, an updated roster or a lineup change. What, what comes to mind that you can thankfully laugh about now? Uh, you know, you and I could talk the rest of the day about <laughs> things like this because, I mean, there's, you're right. Anytime you've got live things going on, something's going to happen. Something bad's going to happen. You know, we had, uh, we had an anthem singer one time uh, that had to start over three times because he would get to a certain point of the national anthem and he'd have to start it over. So he did that about three times before he finally got through it. So wow. that's one of them. 
you know, I and, and flubs that I've made, uh, Mrs. Baird's Bread, which is a bread company, I gave away dinner for two at Mrs. Baird, Mrs. Baird's Bread, which they've never served dinner. So I've done things like that. <laughs> you know, one of the worst uh, things that I really felt bad about was uh, uh, Pete Incavillia was up to bat. This was a game probably at 1987 or 88, somewhere thereabouts. And Pete Incavillia was hitting for us and and I had turned away. I was looking for a piece of music or something, and I heard the crack of the bat. So I turned, I grabbed the microphone and went, number 19, Juan Gonzalez. And, and uh, Incavillia was still up the bat. He had fouled them all <laughs> off. So that was, that was a mess. You know, one of the things that, that you mentioned there, that, that uh, when things break and things, in 1998, we are 30 minutes away from uh, a, a division series playoff game against the New York Yankees. And apparently a car had hit a power pole somewhere. And 30 minutes before the ball game, everything in the ballpark went out. And NBC, who was televising the game, was still, for some reason, they were still ready to roll. But we didn't have any power for PA or anything, scoreboards. And it finally came back about two or three minutes before the, a nationally televised game. And we got that going, uh, but it, it was that was that was very hairy. You know, we've had uh, the first uh, game we had at uh, Globe Life Park when they opened that back in 1994. We had a horrible thunderstorm about two hours before the game, and uh, I, they had real grass at that ballpark. And we had Van Cliburn coming on the field on a, with a piano to play the national anthem. So it was kind of hairy getting the piano onto the field with uh, with a muddy field. Uh, but there's all, but you're right. Anytime you're doing anything live, things like that are going to happen. And, and, and you and I are both uh, in the name business where you look at a <laughs> roster, especially, you know, a visiting team comes in or something and you're like, all right, I'm going to have to probably got to practice this one a few times. Uh, we, we all know there are certain last names that with a slip of the tongue could come off as something the FCC <laughs> might not take kindly to. Uh, any, anything that comes to mind there, not necessarily a potential curse word, but just names that uh, you either loved to say just because of how they sound or names that uh, you had to really be careful with. Before I tell you that, let me tell you what I did yesterday. I, you know, the, what, what's great about today's world is they give you these sheets on how to pronounce names and you can, uh, you can download from MLB the, yes. the, the pronounce the name. So, you know, I, yesterday I, put together the list of all the teams that could possibly come here. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go through the list and make, so I'm way in advance of doing that. But you know, another thing I can do that I like to do is I'll go look on MLB's website, pull off some videos and hear how guys like you that are doing the ball game, I'll find out how they're saying <laughs> that name. So that, that, that's, that's safe. Can't, couldn't do that in the old days. So that's no. why when Shigatoshi Hasegawa was pitching in the game and I didn't check out his name uh, beforehand, that was a little tough, but I try to always go and visit with Eric Nadell, the, the guy that's done the Rangers for a long time, or I'll go to the visiting clubs and or the, their announcers and find out how they'll say it. But Shigatoshi Hasegawa was tough. And then there's others, and I'm sure you have, the, there's others. I can't think of one right now, but there's always one that sounds easy to do yes. when you're listening to, or somebody tells you, and then you start announcing, you think, okay, did, did that come out the way he told me to, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, yeah, I've had a lot of those. There's a guy that comes to mind for me. We've seen him with a few different teams in the Pacific Coast League the last few years. Uh, Brian Schlitter. 
S-C-H-L-I-T-T-E-R. Uh, I, I wish it could just be Brian S. when he comes into a game because it's, <laughs> it scares me to death. But thankfully, yep. uh, I'm still employed and that one hasn't tripped me up yet. But uh, yeah, th- th- I mean, those are the things you look at the roster and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to need an extra second or so when I'm about <laughs> to say this name because you're going to say it into a microphone. See, that's tougher for you because you're doing play-by-play. I've got a little break where I can – I can, while the batter's hitting, I can sit there, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it this way. And then I've, I've got it figured out by the time it's time to introduce him. If your default is to, to check with Eric Nadell, that's a pretty good default <laughs> to have in your back pocket there too. The other cool thing with a, a job like yours is – and the games that you've done is just getting to be there for so many moments as they happen. And I'm just thinking, I mean – World Series for the Rangers. You're seeing Nolan Ryan in his prime. I mean, I know this is a lengthy list, obviously, but some of the moments uh, that you've gotten to be part of or witness. What what are what sort of like a off the top of your head top five? Well, I'm not. I'll, I'll give you some things that come to my mind. Growing up in the '60s, you know, I got to watch Carl Yastrzemski, and he played his last game in Arlington, and I got to announce a uh, how about a hand for Carl Yastrzemski came out of the dugout. This this was before the days that everybody did their their tour, and this was just a tip of the cap to the fans that got to do the same thing with with Reggie Jackson. But some of the great moments, uh, Kenny Rogers' perfect game in 1994. I mean, there's only been a few of those, and I've seen two of them now. Uh, so you had Kenny Rogers' perfect game. Nolan's 5,000 strikeout was just – it was that was the biggest moment in Arlington and uh, until we had a postseason game in 1996, and that, that game was in 1989. And then Nolan's seventh no-hitter was a uh, great uh, – Rafael Palmero's 500th homer. I saw Sammy Sosa's 600th home run. And then Adrian Beltre getting 3,000 yeah. career hits. Anytime you see something like that, it's, it's very rare to see 3,000 hits. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. But, man, I tell you, there's just, there's just so many of them like that that you're just, you just feel, like you said, treasured to be in the, in the ballpark when something like that happens. Well, you've had, a, you've had a great career, and I know you've got a lot on your plate with the MLB postseason coming to Arlington, and hopefully 2021 for all of us around the game is a much more normalized year. But congratulations on 3,000, and uh, it was really fun to hear some of your old Nashville stories. This, this was a lot of fun. So, Chuck, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate you asking me to do this. Appreciate you having me on. And just remember, when you're watching the World Series and Joe Buck throws it to me, just remember I told you about how many butterflies are <laughs> flying around. Uh, I, I, I appreciate it. your time. I know you'll knock it out of the park, too. It's, uh, it's going to be fun to watch and to, to eavesdrop on that moment in the World Series. That'll be great. Chuck Morgan of the Rangers, former Nashville Sounds public address announcer and now longtime PA man for the Sounds Parent Club, Texas Rangers. Joining us on another edition of Rounding Third. Thank you for listening to Rounding Third, the official podcast of the Nashville Sounds. For more information about Sounds Baseball and this podcast, visit nashvillesounds.com slash podcast.